Book Three, Sections One through Three of King Cole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. King Cole by Upton Sinclair. Book Three, The Henchmen of King Cole, Section One. It was Hal's intention to get to Western City as quickly as possible to call upon the newspaper editors, but first he must have money to travel and the best way he could think of to get it was to find John Edstrom. He left the train, followed by Pete Hannon. After some inquiry he came upon the undertaker who had buried Edstrom's wife, and who told him where the old Swede was staying, in the home of a laboring man nearby. Edstrom greeted him with eager questions. Who had been killed? What was the situation? Hal told in brief sentences what had happened. When he mentioned his need of money, Edstrom answered that he had a little and would lend it, but it was not enough for a ticket to Western City. Hal asked about the twenty-five dollars which Mary Burke had sent by registered mail. The old man had heard nothing about it. He had not been to the post office. "'Let's go now,' said Hal at once. But as they were starting downstairs, a fresh difficulty occurred to him. Pete Hannon was on the street outside, and it was likely that he had heard about this money from Jeff Cotton. He might hold Edstrom up and take it away. "'Let me suggest something,' put in the old man. "'Come and see my friend, Ed McKellar. He may be able to give us some advice, even to think of some way to get the mine open.' Edstrom explained that McKellar, an old Scotchman, had been a miner but was now crippled, and held some petty office in Pedro. He was a persistent opponent of Alf Raymond's machine, and they had almost killed him on one occasion. His home was not far away, and it would take little time to consult him. "'All right,' said Hal, and they set out at once." Pete Hannon followed them, not more than a dozen yards behind, but did not interfere, and they turned in at the gate of a little cottage. A woman opened the door for them, and asked them into the dining-room where McKellar was sitting, a gray-haired old man, twisted up with rheumatism and obliged to go about on crutches. Hal told his story. As the Scotchman had been brought up in the mines, it was not necessary to go into details about the situation. When Hal told his idea of appealing to the newspapers, the other responded at once. "'You won't have to go to Western City. There's a man right here who'll do the business for you, Keating, of the Gazette.' "'The Western City Gazette?' exclaimed Hal. He knew this paper an evening journal selling for a cent, and read by working men. Persons of culture who referred to it disposed of it with the adjective yellow. "'I know,' said McKellar, noting Hal's tone, "'but it's the only paper that will publish your story anyway.' "'Where is this Keating?' "'He's been up at the mine. It's too bad you didn't meet him.' "'Can we get hold of him now?' He might be in Pedro. Try the American Hotel." Hal went to the telephone, and in a minute was hearing for the first time the cheery voice of his friend and lieutenant-to-be, Billy Keating. 
In a couple of minutes more the owner of the voice was at McKellar's door, wiping the perspiration from his half-bald forehead. He was round-faced, like a full moon, and as jolly as Falstaff. When you got to know him better, you discovered that he was loyal as a Newfoundland dog. For all his bulk, Keating was a newspaper man, every inch of him on the job. He started to question the young miner as soon as he was introduced, and it quickly became clear to Hal that here was the man he was looking for. Keating knew exactly what questions to ask, and had the whole story in a few minutes. "'By thunder!' he cried. "'My last edition!' And he pulled out his watch and sprang to the telephone. "'Long distance,' he called. Then, "'I want the city editor of the Western City Gazette.' An operator, please see if you can't rush it through. It's very urgent, and last time I had to wait nearly half an hour. He turned back to Hal and proceeded to ask more questions, at the same time pulling a bunch of copy paper from his pocket and making notes. He got all Hal's statements about the lack of sprinkling, the absence of escapeways, the delay in starting the fan, the concealing of the number of men in the mine. I knew things were crooked up there, he exclaimed, but I couldn't get a lead. They kept a man with me every minute of the time. You know a fellow named Predovich? I do, said Hal, the company store clerk. He once went through my pockets. Keating made a face of disgust. Well, he was my chaperone. Imagine trying to get the miners to talk to you with that sneak at your heels. I said to the superintendent, I don't need anybody to escort me around your place, and he looked at me with a nasty little smile. We wouldn't want anything to happen to you while you're in this camp, Mr. Keating. You don't consider it necessary to protect the lives of the other reporters, I said. No, said he, but the Gazette has made a great many enemies, you know. Drop your foolin', Mr. Cartwright, I said. You propose to have me shadowed while I'm working on this assignment? You can put it that way, he answered, if you think it'll please the readers of the Gazette. Too bad we didn't meet, said Hal, or if you'd run into any of our check weighman crowd. Oh, you know about that check weighman business, exclaimed the reporter. I got a hint of it. That's how I happened to be down here today. I heard there was a man named Edstrom, who'd been shut out for making trouble, and I thought if I could find him I might get a lead. Hal and McKellar looked at the old Swede, and the three of them began to laugh. "'Here's your man,' said McKellar. "'And here's your check weighman,' added Edstrom, pointing to Hal. Instantly the reporter was on his job again. He began to fire another series of questions. He would use that Chuck Wayman story as a follow-up for the next day, to keep the subject of North Valley alive. The story had a direct bearing on the disaster, because it showed what the North Valley bosses were doing when they should have been looking after the safety of their mine. "'I'll write it out this afternoon and send it by mail,' said Keating. He added, with a smile, "'That's one advantage of handling news the other papers won't touch.' You don't have to worry about losing your scoops. End of section one. 
Section 2 Keating went to the telephone again, to worry long distance. Then, grumbling about his last edition, he came back to ask more questions about Hal's experiences. Before long he drew out the story of the young man's first effort in the publicity game, at which he sank back in his chair, and laughed until he shook, as the nursery rhyme describes it, like a bowl full of jelly. "'Graham!' he exclaimed. "'Fancy, McKellar, he took that story to Graham!' The Scotchman seemed to find it equally funny. Together they explained that Graham was the political reporter of the Eagle, the paper in Pedro which was owned by the sheriff-emperor. One might call him Alf Raymond's journalistic jackal. There was no job too dirty for him. "'But,' cried Hal, "'he told me he was correspondent for the Western Press Association.' "'He's that, too,' replied Billy. "'But does the Press Association employ spies for the GFC?' The reporter answered dryly, when you understand the news game better, you'll realize that the one thing the Press Association cares about in a correspondent is that he should have respect for property. If respect for property is the backbone of his being, he can learn what news is and the right way to handle it. Keating turned to the Scotchman. Do you happen to have a typewriter in the house, Mr. McKellar? An old one, said the other, lame like myself. I'll make out with it. I'd ask this young man over to my hotel, but I think he'd better keep off the streets as much as possible. You're right. If you take my advice, you'll take the typewriter upstairs, where there's no chance of a shot through the window. Great heavens! exclaimed Hal. Is this America or medieval Italy? It's the empire of Raymond, replied McKellar. They shot my friend Tom Burton dead while he stood on the steps of his home. He was opposing the machine, and had evidence about ballot frauds he was going to put before the grand jury. While Keating continued to fret with long distance, the old Scotchman went on trying to impress upon Hal the danger of his position. Quite recently an organizer of the miners' union had been beaten up in broad daylight, and left insensible on the sidewalk. McKellar had watched the trial and acquittal of the two thugs who had committed this crime. The foreman of the jury being a saloon-keeper, one of Raymond's healers, and the other jurymen being Mexicans, unable to comprehend a word of the court proceedings. "'Exactly such a jury as Jeff Cotton promised me,' remarked Hal, with a feeble attempt at a smile." "'Yes,' answered the other, "'and don't make any mistake about it. "'If they want to put you away, they can do it. "'They run the whole machine here. "'I know how it is, for I had a political job myself "'until they found they couldn't use me.' "'The old Scotchman went on to explain "'that he had been elected Justice of Peace "'and had tried to break up the business of policemen "'taking money from the women of the town.' He had been forced to resign, and his enemies had made his life a torment. Recently he had been candidate for district judge on the progressive ticket, and told of his efforts to carry on a campaign in the coal camps, how his circulars had been confiscated, 
his posters torn down, his supporters kangarooed. It was exactly as Alec Stone, the pit boss, had explained to Hal. In some of the camps the meeting halls belonged to the company, in others they belonged to saloon-keepers, whose credit depended upon Alf Raymond. In the few places where there were halls that could be hired, the machine had gone to the extreme of sending in rival entertainments, furnishing free music and free beer, in order to keep the crowds away from McKellar. All this time Billy Keating had been chafing and scolding at long distance. Now at last he managed to get his call, and silence fell in the room. "'Hello, Pringle, that you? This is Keating. Got a big story on the North Valley disaster. Last edition put to bed yet? Put Jim on the wire. Hello, Jim, got your book?' And then Billy, evidently talking to a stenographer, began to tell the story he had got from Hal. Now and then he would stop to repeat or spell a word. Once or twice Hal corrected him on details. So in about a quarter of an hour they put the job through, and Keating turned to Hal. "'There you are, son,' said he. "'Your story'll be on the street in Western City in a little over an hour.' It'll be down here as soon thereafter as they can get telephone connections. And take my advice, if you want to keep a whole skin, you'll be out of Pedro when that happens. End of Section 2 Section 3 When Hal spoke, he did not answer Billy Keating's last remark. He had been listening to a retelling of the North Valley disaster over the telephone, so he was not thinking about his skin, but about a hundred and seven men and boys buried inside a mine. "'Mr. Keating,' said he, "'are you sure the Gazette will print that story?' "'Good Lord!' exclaimed the other. "'What am I here for?' "'Well, I've been disappointed once, you know.' "'Yes, but you got into the wrong camp.' We're a poor man's paper, and this is what we live on. There's no chance of its being toned down? Not the slightest, I assure you. There's no chance of Peter Harrigan's suppressing it? Peter Harrigan made his attempts on the Gazette long ago, my boy. Well, said Hal, and now tell me this, will it do the work? In what way? I mean in making them open the mine. Keating considered for a moment. I'm afraid it won't do much. Hal looked at him blankly. He had taken it for granted the publication of the facts would force the company to move. But Keating explained that the Gazette was read mainly by working people, and so had comparatively little influence. We're an afternoon paper, he said. And when people have been reading lies all morning, it's not easy to make them believe the truth in the afternoon. But won't the story go to other papers? Over the country, I mean? Yes, we have a press service, but the papers are all like the Gazette, poor man's papers. If there's something very raw, and we keep pounding away for a long time, we can make an impression— at least we limit the amount of news the Western Press Association can suppress, 
but when it comes to a small matter like sealing up working men in a mine, all we can do is to worry the GFC a little. So Hal was just where he had begun. I must find some other plan, he exclaimed. I don't see what you can do, replied the other. There was a pause while the young miner pondered. I had thought of going up to Western City and appealing to the editors, he said, a little uncertainly. Well, I can tell you about that. You might as well save your car fare. They wouldn't touch your story. And if I appealed to the governor? In the first place, he probably wouldn't see you. And if he did, he wouldn't do anything. He's not really the governor, you know. He's a puppet put up there to fool you. He only moves when Harrigan pulls a string. Of course I knew he was old Peter's man, said Hal. But then, and he concluded somewhat lamely, what can I do? A smile of pity came upon the reporter's face. I can see this is the first time you've been up against big business. And then he added, You're young. When you've had more experience, you'll leave these problems to older heads. But Hal failed to get the reporter's sarcasm. He had heard these exact words in such deadly seriousness from his brother. Besides, he had just come from scenes of horror. "'But don't you see, Mr. Keating?' he exclaimed. "'It's impossible for me to sit still while those men die.' "'I don't know about your sitting still,' said the other. "'All I know is that all your moving about isn't going to do them any good.' Hal turned to Edstrom and McKellar. "'Gentlemen,' he said, "'listen to me for a minute.' and there was a note of pleading in his voice, as if he thought they were deliberately refusing to help him. "'We've got to do something about this. We've got to do something. I'm new at the game, as Mr. Keating says, but you aren't. Put your minds on it, gentlemen, and help me work out a plan.' There was a long silence. "'God knows,' said Edstrom at last, I'd suggest something if I could. And I, too, said McKellar. You're up against a stone wall, my boy. The government here is simply a department of the GFC. The officials are crooks, company servants, all of them. Just a moment now, said Hal. Let's consider. Suppose we had a real government. What steps would we take? We'd carry such a case to the district attorney, wouldn't we? Yes, no doubt of it, said McKellar. You mentioned him before, said Hal. He threatened to prosecute some mine superintendents for ballot frauds, you said. That was while he was running for election, said McKellar. Oh, I remember what Jeff Cotton said, that he was friendly to the miners in his speeches and to the companies in his acts. "'That's the man,' said the other, dryly. "'Well,' argued Hal, "'oughtn't I go to him, to give him a chance at least? You can't tell. He might have a heart inside him.' "'It isn't a heart he needs,' replied McKellar. "'It's a backbone.' "'But surely I ought to put it up to him. 
If he won't do anything, at least I'll put him on record, and it'll make another story for you, won't it, Mr. Keating?' "'Yes, that's true,' admitted the reporter. "'What would you ask him to do?' "'Why, to lay the matter before the grand jury, to bring indictments against the North Valley bosses.' "'But that would take a long time. It wouldn't save the men in the mine.' "'What might save them would be the threat of it,' McKellar put in. "'I don't think any threat of Dick Barker's would count for that much. The bosses know they could stop him.' "'Well, isn't there somebody else? Shouldn't I try the courts?' "'What courts?' "'I don't know. You tell me.' "'Well,' said the Scotchman, "'to begin at the bottom, there's a justice of the peace. "'Who's he?' "'Jim Anderson, a horse doctor. "'He's like any other J.P. you ever knew. "'He lives on petty graft.' "'Is there a higher court?' "'Yes, the district court, Judge Denton. "'He's the law partner of Vagelman, counsel for the G.F.C. "'How far would you expect to get with him?' "'I suppose I'm clutching at straws,' said Hal. "'But they say that's what a drowning man does. "'Anyway, I'm going to see these people, "'and maybe out of the lot of them I can find one who'll act. "'It can't do any harm.' The three men thought of some harm it might do. They tried to make Hal consider the danger of being slugged or shot. "'They'll do it!' exclaimed McKellar. "'And no trouble for them. They'll prove you were stabbed by a drunken dago quarreling over some woman.' But Hal had got his head set. He believed he could put this job through before his enemies had time to lay any plans nor would he let any of his friends accompany him. He had something more important for both Edstrom and Keating to do, and as for McKellar, he could not get about rapidly enough. Hal bade Edstrom go to the post office and get the registered letter, and proceed at once to change the bills. It was his plan to make out affidavits, and if the officials here would not act, to take the affidavits to the governor and for this he would need money. Meantime, he said, let Billy Keating write out the check Wayman story, and in a couple of hours meet him at the American Hotel to get copies of the affidavits for the Gazette. Hal was still wearing the miner's clothes he had worn on the night of his arrest in Edstrom's cabin, but he declined McKellar's offer to lend him a business suit, the old Scotchman's clothes would not fit him, he knew, and it would be better to make his appeal as a real miner than as a misfit gentleman. These matters being settled, Hal went out upon the street, where Pete Hannon, the breaker of teeth, fell in behind him. The young miner at once broke into a run, and the other followed suit, and so the two of them sped down the street to the wonder of people on the way. As Hal had had practice as a sprinter, no doubt Pete was glad that the district attorney's office was not far away. End of section 3